Welcome. This is episode 149 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Today, we're talking with stunt expert, stunt choreographer, stunt master turned director, Nick Powell. Nick has been stunt choreographer and worked on the stunt team on films such as Three Musketeers, Resident Evil, X-Men Last Stand, Cinderella Man, 28 Days Later, Born Identity, Golden Eye and Braveheart. And he has since directed two feature films, both starring Nick Cage a.k.a. Nicolas Cage. Uh, that was Outcast, which starred Hayden Christensen as well as Nick Cage, and the latest film he's directed, which is out now, called Primal. This feature film also stars Famke Janssen, Kevin Durant, and a shit ton of animals and fights galore. It's an absolute delight of a film. It's so much fun. And Nick delves into details about working with Nicolas Cage, about working with animals and CGI and the fights, and his whole journey from being a stuntman to a stunt choreographer to directing stars such as Nicolas Cage. I am Giles Alderson. I'm the director of The Dare, which is out on March the 3rd. I shit you not, that is two weeks from now. Uh, it is only out in America, in the US. But if you're listening in the US, which I know some of you lovely listeners are, you can get that movie. This is the movie I've talked about from the very beginning. And finally, it can be in your hands. Finally, it can be in your eyeballs. And it's interesting I talk eyeballs because someone might lose their eyeball in the middle of this film. It is a horror film. It is a bit gory at times. But it has got so much heart and love and uh, I can't wait for you to see it. Please support. Do whatever you can. Let me know what you think. Two weeks. I am heading over to LA. I've booked my tickets. I am going to meet some agents and managers and just talk about the film. Be there. Um, We've got some midnight screenings on the 6th of March. So if you're in LA, link to all that will be coming up very shortly. So do come say hello and do come support. I would love it. That's The Dare, um, out March the 3rd. I can't believe I'm saying that. That feels ace. It feels ace, finally. Wow. Anyway, um, (laughs) so this episode is sponsored by ScreenCraft. Thank you so much for sponsoring this week's episode with Nick Powell. Um, We're talking about the fellowship this week because they do a screenwriting fellowship, which is a fantastic opportunity to you to put your screenplays in. And if you win, you will get signed. Um, with literary managers there is no question about it all last year's winners did and that is winners so it's not just one past screen craft winning writers have been hired by producers they've optioned their projects to major studios and signed with top representatives such as CAA WME uh, United Talent Agency and so so many more and not only that you'll receive ongoing professional support and a special trip to LA for meetings mentorship and personal introductions to key entertainment studio executives I could do that. Um, I, sounds like my trip. Uh, yeah, I should apply right now. So if you haven't yet, you've got a brilliant script ready to go. The deadline at the moment is February the 29th. Get it in screencraft.org. Link to that is in the show notes. Um, the next Make Your Film event has been announced. Uh, we have our first guest. The date for it is the 25th of March 
Put it in your diaries. It's the first Wednesday we've done. It is in London, so if you're not in London, then fly over. Why not? Uh, it's a brilliant event, sold out pretty much everyone so far, and the last one was. And we have guests, and we sit down, and we talk about filmmaking. It's like the podcast, but live and better, because we're in the, you're in the room with us, and uh, you can ask questions, and you can meet everyone, and you can network, and you can hand out your business cards, or you can stand in a corner, and someone will come and say hello to you because filmmakers are lovely and that's what we do and we help and support each other so come on down March the 25th first guest announced is Simon Cox the fantastic director and writer and producer and filmmaker extraordinaire of Invasion Planet Earth which took seven years to make and get to the big screen super super exciting to have him as our first guest more guests to be announced very soon early bird tickets are available now for you because you're listening to this they're only seven quid if you're in London, you need to be there. Why would you not? Link to that is in the show notes. Make Your Film is sponsored by Performance Insurance. If you haven't got insurance for your films and your promos and whatever, then you're silly. You really, really should. And I can't recommend Performance Insurance enough. You just have to have insurance. If something goes wrong, you are done for. It ain't just the cost of a camera. That could be £20,000. could be someone's injury. That could be so much more. Anyway, get insurance. It's vital. It's vital. You want 20% off the Raindance course? They have their no-nonsense intensive film directing career weekend masterclass with fantastic Simon Hunter. He charts the path you need to take from a nobody to a working film director. That is on the 29th of Feb and the 1st of March. And you can get 20% off. Uh, So 20% off for you because you're listening to this podcast, you amazing people. And you are amazing. Thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate all your comments and your support. It means the world to me, especially in times of darkness. Uh, Middle of the night is what I'm talking about. When it is tough to edit and put it up and do it. Uh, And every week we still do it because we want to get this out. We want to do it. So if you do like this, do support if you can. We're about to uh, make the website even nicer. So it's easier for you to find past people who've been on. We're going to have it labelled as directors and writers and special links for like uh, finance and etc. And And we're going to have merch. Oh yeah, we're going to have t-shirts and mugs and shit like that if you want it on your desk. Don't know why you would, but why not? Hey, support if nothing else. <laughs> I totally undersold that. Um, okay, I really want to get to this week's uh, episode because it's it's just a delight. It was so much fun chatting to Nick. I've got a couple of shout-outs to do just before that. It is to Jonathan Hurrigan and everyone at the London Film School. Big shout-out to you. Thank you for all your support. Also to Will Thorne. He has his brand-new film on Greenlit that he is looking for money for, and it is called One Man and His Shoes is the Definitive. Air Jordan documentary uh, about those shoes. Um, Will, big shout out to you. Good luck with your crowdfunding. If you want to support him, link is in the show notes. That's on Greenlit. It's a wonderful platform for filmmakers, that one. Um, shout out also to uh, Mark Kenny and to Jessica Douse, uh, who wrote to me. She's making her first short film after listening to this podcast and with m- so much help from her friends and family. Best, best wishes for you to make your first film. I love that. Let me know how you get on. And a shout out to uh, Kate Madison, who is crowdfunding right now for the second season of Wren, The Girl with the Mark. Uh, it's a fantastic action uh, thriller series. It is so well made, and she's had over 50 million hits. Oh, that says it all. She is now crowdfunding for the next season. Do support her. Link to that is in the show notes. And as a little treat for you, she 
will be joining us on next week's podcast to tell you all about how she did that, how she managed to get over 50 million hits. It is impressive and she's an impressive filmmaker. So do tune in next week for that. Okay, here it is. Uh, Filmmakers Podcast episode with the fantastic stunt choreographer and director, Nick Powell. Enjoy. Honestly, thank you so much for joining us on the Filmmakers Podcast. Absolute pleasure. This podcast obviously is about helping filmmakers. That's what we are. We're all filmmakers ourselves. And we chat about how our guests made their films and how they went about them and how they got them made. And obviously, we're here to talk about your fantastic new film, Primal, starring Nicolas Cage, which is really, really cool. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So much fun. Great. Thank you. What I wanted to do is to jump back and actually talk about your stunt work and how you actually moved into the world of directing from stunts and how you got started, really, because I think that'd be really interesting for our listeners. Right, um, but all the way back to to when I was sure, younger. Why not? A, I mean, yeah, it's a long have... way back, I can tell you. But uh, um, yeah. I, okay, I, uh, my sort of journey in this industry. I started. Uh, I went to drama school in London. Did you? Um, which one did you go to? I went to East Fifteen initially, and then I went to the drama studio. Yes, um, I, I went to drama studio as well. This is crazy. Oh, you mate. did? Yeah. I went uh, there in yeah, 1999. <laughs> oh, I was there well before you. I can't even remember when I was there, but it was in the eight, late 80s. This is funny. I had another director on recently, a producer as well, Sarah Megan Thomas, and she also went to Drama Studio London, and neither of us knew. How funny. We've all moved into producing and stuff. I find that really interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, initially I was, you know, I, came, I trained as an actor and uh, came out trying to... Um, trying to get acting work and as as I'm sure a lot of young actors know and I'm sure yourself and it's it's pretty tricky when you're starting out so I was getting a little bit of theatre here and there and a, the odd small role on television and things like that and uh, one theatre show I was doing there was some acrobatic work in the show and um, one of the guys who was doing the acrobatic work was training to be a stuntman and that seemed really interesting to me because as a youngster, I'd sort of done a lot of martial arts and a bit of fencing and things like that. So I thought that could be really interesting. And um, he told me what you re- what the requirements were for the British Stunt Register, uh, which is very regulated. And, and I think it's even more regulated now. But uh, you needed to get a minimum of six qualifications from a group of about 18 different qualifications they give you. Um, so you needed a sort of martial arts black belt. You needed to get one of three water elements, sort of life-saving or scuba diving or something like that. Yeah, all the fun stuff. All that stuff. <laughs> and it seemed like fun to me. So I, I basically, you know, started training in, uh, as an actor, not that much work. So I started training in my off time when I wasn't acting or doing theatre and, and stuff. And uh, basically within a couple of years, based on all the other stuff that I'd done, I, I got the qualifications together applied to be a stuntman and uh, got accepted onto the British Stunt Register. That's uh, incredible, mate. Wow, well done. You must have enjoyed it, though. There must have been something in you that loved the actor in you. Oh, yeah. Throwing yourself around and, you know, getting, not hurt, but that, that the fear and that of not having the fear, I suppose. Well, I'd always liked sort of, you know, I'd like the action movies and um, and basically, you know, actors that could do a lot of their own act, um, action. And so initially, from my point of view, what was what was nice was I was getting a lot of work where they would call me and say, hey, we need a stuntman that can act because 
a lot of stuntmen are not trained actors and, you know, they're, they're not so good at uh, dialogue and things. And, um, and I, I'd obviously, you know, I was an actor. I'd acted for a few years. And so now I was getting the jobs where basically they wanted a, a young guy who could actually do his own stunts, an actor who could do his own stunts or a stuntman that could, you know, put a little bit of uh, dialogue down on screen. Totally. And you did some great films early on with the Batman and uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, you know, they're Braveheart as well in there, you know, yeah. um, incredible sort of start, I suppose. I mean, well, it's, not it's not, you know, it always looks a lot better than it is in terms of yes. if, if you say you're on the Batman movie and, and then when people sort of really go, well, what did you do on it? And you go, well, I was one of Jack Nicholson's henchmen for about a week running around shooting, <laughs> shooting guns and falling over. And that's really all I did on the Batman movie. Um, Braveheart was the first real, I mean, I had a few weeks work on the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves and I was doing a lot of other stuff here and there, TV and things. But the first big break for me, um, because initially it was a mix of acting and, um, and stunt, stunt work. work. So, yeah. I mean, I, I got offered the National Theatre. I got offered a year's contract at the National Theatre and, uh, went in there. And as you, as you know, as an actor, I, I, they off, the offer was as an unknown. They pay so little money, or at least they did, you know, mm -hmm. th 30 years ago or so yeah. when I was offered it. Um, and so as much as I wanted to, to do that, I, you know, it was, I couldn't really afford to pay the rent. So I was sort of, I ended up saying, you know, thanks very much, but I'd, I'd, and I'd love to do it, but can I come back in a few years when I put a bit of money in the bank as a stuntman? Mm. And, and I, you know, I started doing stunt work and then basically never really went back to acting because it took off. And uh, Braveheart was the first real thing. Uh, Simon Crane was the stunt coordinator on that movie. And, um, and he was a, an acquaintance of mine at the time. And, and he asked me to do all the fight sequences and choreograph all the fights and sword work and everything in the movie. And so, you know, I was on that movie for, I can't remember, four or five months and doing all the fights and that one sort of changed things for me that was a that was a nice you know sort of real introduction into uh doing bigger and better stuff it must have done i suppose that it like you say then led on to you sort of having that reputation of knowing what you're doing during that time did you always want to direct did you have a hankering at that point that you would potentially go on and make your own movies well, I directed some theatre when I was at drama school. I, you know, we directed a little sort of a, a play in London and, uh, and it just, it just ran for a few nights, just one of those little things that you do as a drama yeah. student. Um, and, you know, I'd really enjoyed it. And basically, for me, it was the, the progression from sort of being a stuntman to being a stunt coordinator and then being a sort of a, an action director and while I was doing the stunt coordinating action directing, I mean, I got offered a number of things because producers would see, I mean, I did a, a number of shows like Casualty in England and, and mm. you know, and um, EastEnders and things as a stunt coordinator, just the, the sort of jobbing stunt coordinator. And you'd be on set and the producers would see you working and they'd go, well, you, you really know how to direct here. And uh, they'd offer me, you know, I got offered an EastEnders and a couple of episodes of Casualty and things as a director. But at that time, I didn't want to do those episodic things. I was kind of hoping to uh, to sort of have a break as a you know on a reasonable feature or something sort of really interesting um and you know i directed a lot of a lot of things on on television shows like uh, there was a tv series lockstock 
um, and two smoking mm-hmm. barrels. The TV series, the first, the first one that, that they did, it was six episodes. Yes. And I directed a number of days of the main unit on those shows. Um, you know, when directors were sort of let go or, or however, you know, things went. And, uh, I took over for three or four days of directing the main unit and really enjoyed it and thought this is something that I could get my teeth into. And, um, it was talked about for a number of years, but it's always difficult. Um, well, I say it's always difficult. Some people obviously have a lot more luck than other people, and they get a great break at the very beginning, and their first job as a director turns out to be a, a fantastic break, and it happens really quickly. Whereas mine took about eight or nine years of of producers saying, hey, we want you to direct this movie, and then the finances fell apart or the actors fell apart or the, you know. So there was about eight years where I was turning down a lot of action directing um, in order to get movies going that never happened. I mean, I would sort mm. of spend a year or two trying to get a movie going, turning turning stunt directing jobs down, and then finding out the whole movie got to collapse. So then I'd go back and do a bit of, you know, action directing, and then and then another movie would come up, and then that one fall, falls apart, and and so on. So it took it took a while. Yeah, it does. And I'm, I mean, I've had a few movies fall apart on me. What for you from, you know, for, for our listeners be really interesting. What, what do you think the main reason they fall apart? Is it, is it a different, is it a talent one day? Is it money the next? It's a lot of different reasons, but I, I honestly think there's a lot of people who have high hopes without it actually being backed by very much. There's a lot of producers out there that, you know, they think if they have a script and they have a director, um, whether the directors, are, I mean, obviously, if they had a director who was named Christopher Nolan or, mm-hmm. you know, or um, Quentin Tarantino, then the movie will probably get made somewhere down the line. Yes. But if they've got a director that's, you know, come out of film school and directed a short or maybe directed, you know, a sort of a genre movie, uh, you know, th- those guys like myself, it's they're not a guarantee that the movie's going to get made. They're, they're not people are not turning around going, well, this this guy just won an Oscar. Um, we'll give him money to make a movie. So it's a lot harder than people think when you have a script, you have a director, you can even have an actor. But uh, if that actor is not completely bankable in the, in the current market and, and the market changes very rapidly sometimes, um, and then you've, you're dealing with agents, especially in Los Angeles, who a lot of them, you know, think they're more important than the people they represent. And, you know, they, they're not even interested in talking to their to their clients even if you have the money to make the movie, it's and you go for an actor and they go, well, who's directing it? Who? Where's the theatrical release? And you go, we don't have a theatrical release guaranteed yet. It's an independent. We're hoping to do this. These are the sales agents. These are the distributors. Uh, no, no, thanks very much. But, uh, you know, and then you, you you wait a month or two months and you hear nothing back and you find out that they haven't even given the script to the to mm-hmm. their client. Yeah. So there's so many different reasons why things fall apart. Um, you know, and, and even the one I've just done, I mean, with Primal, it's, it's, I was told that, uh, you know, they sent me the script, asked if I liked the script and would be interested in directing it. I said, you know, it, it needed a little work, but, uh, and, and probably 30 pages cut out of it because it was long at the beginning, but, uh, that, that was all agreed on. And they said, well, if we can get an actor that means enough to Lionsgate, then we've got a deal and we greenlit straight away. And, uh, I read the script and thought about Nick Cage straight away, and I know Nick, so I approached mm-hmm. Nick, and within three days I'd brought Nick on board. He'd, he'd said yes, he'd signed up, and the producers were, yeah, this is great. We're, well, we're green lit, and I said, okay, when do we start? 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's going to take three or four months to get the paperwork together. I said, okay. And uh, sure, sure. Eight well, or yeah, nine, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, eight or nine months later, and the paperwork's still not together, and the finances are not there, and then something else happens, and then you you change your shooting location because it's better tax credits in this other place, and then you go to that shooting location, and then there's a hurricane, and they still don't have their money, and then you move out of that location because the hurricane was massive, and there's nothing can be done for a month. Then you go back and start prepping again and the money's still not there. And then, you know, you take another two or two months off and all the time you, you're sort of sitting there with no money coming in. Um, and eventually, you know, things move around and some producers uh, uh, leave the show and other producers take over who are more effective and actually make things happen. And all of a sudden you're making the movie a year after you thought it was going to happen. Do you know what? I so well explained that. It does happen so often. People forget that. They think, oh, I'm, I'm going to make my first movie in, or I'm going to be in the world and it's going to happen. Uh, and suddenly yeah. it's happening. We've got a name, but it, it falls down all the time. There's so, it, like say, it's a miracle movies get made. It just is. So I totally get why you'd say, well, I'm going to keep doing my stunt work. And you know, your film credit in the stunt world is huge. It's just some amazing stunt work and it's an incredible achievement. So Thank how you. did, let's, uh, first, before we get to Primal, how did Outcast come about? Because that's your first, you know, your debut movie as a director, starring Nick Cage as well. Did that come from because you knew him before you'd worked with him on something? No, no, that's a funny story. I'm sure all stories are relatively funny, but... uh, (laughs) I, I with this movie basically again I, I got sent a script from a producer um, asked if I was interested and at the time the script was basically one um, one night uh, a, a night as in you know the Knights Templar was basically was so disillusioned had PTSD and basically wandered off across Asia and ended up helping you know a, a sort of disparate Chinese family who turned out to be the the king's daughter and the brother was trying to kill, you know, the, that sort of the typical Shakespearean mm-hmm. style story. Um, it turned out that the script originally was written for the UK, the Middle Ages in the UK. Um, but because of the funding situation, they thought it would actually be easier to get funded if it was a Chinese story. So the whole, the, the, the initial script, which was, I think, a better script, um, a lot more sort of gritty and down to earth kind of uh, one that I would much prefer to have watched myself mm. was then rewritten completely for the Chinese market. And then um, we got Hayden Christensen on board yeah. and the movie was budgeted at around $15 million to shoot in China. Uh, we then um, had problems with finances and everything else again and the the producers, distributors at the time thought that they needed another big name in order to make it a, a, an international, a viable international proposition. So they were working with Nick Cage at the time and thought, hey, if we bring Nick onto this project, then basically we can get it made as a $20 million movie. Um, Nick looked at the script, which didn't really have a role for him at the beginning, and it was kind of cobbled together a little bit, but he thought it could be an interesting proposition. We chatted on the phone. Hmm. Um, We got on very well, and he thought, well, you know, if if you sort of... uh, if you think it'll work for me and everything else and, and you can make this really work, then then okay, I'm interested. So, you know, we, we sat down, talked about it, rewrote the script. Um, and basically, at the time, we had a, a Western producer who um, has produced a lot of big movies and... Um, that was actually Jeremy Bolt, who was mm, the, the, big, the big, cr- big, big yeah, all the all the Resident Evil movies and the and Three Musketeers and yeah, yeah Death exactly. Race, yeah. 
And Jeremy was the main creative producer. And between myself and Jeremy, we were getting a lot of a lot of stuff done and making things happen. And then, uh, but in order to get the film financed, we ended up having to give creative control to the Chinese producer um, because he put the majority of the finance up and wanted creative control. And so the script got rewritten according to his aesthetics and uh, dramatic sensibilities, which was nothing to do with anything that we were really interested in. And at that point, you know, we were too far down the line to walk away. As much as I, I'd actually at that point, to be honest with you, I'd, I'd kind of gone in and said, this is not the movie I signed on to do. And, uh, you know, but we were so far along that you basically do what you can, make it as good as you can. And um, so that was the story. Again, it was not, you know, it was not something that I'd originally signed on to do. It was changed considerably. And then even after we'd shot it, um, our Chinese producer went in and uh, and recut a lot of the a lot of the stuff that we'd put together, and changed it dramatically from what we had. So Nick Cage and I and Hayden, we all sort of were a little disappointed in the experience of that movie, but we we sort of all got on very well together. And Nick, at the end of it, said, "Let's do something else where it's a lot more controllable, where we can actually do something and make a good movie." Mm-hmm. Um, and so we stayed in touch. And I was looking for something else to do with Nick that that wasn't going to be so sort of uh, disappointing on so many levels. I understand. Yeah. Um, so when Primal came across my desk, it was basically Nick would be perfect for this, and mm-hmm, uh, for sure. And I, I, you know, bringing Nick to the table, as I said, it was it was Nick that greenlit the movie, of course. But again, it, it still takes a lot of time and uh, and trouble to get these things together. Of course it does. Uh, that's a really interesting story. Uh, how was it then when you first spoke to Nick? Obviously, you'd worked with some big, big actors during your time. But now this is you as a director and in a way, a sort of untested director. Was that yeah. conversation with Nick, Nicholas Cage, was that, you know, uh, was it easy for you to say, this is how I'm going to direct it, how I'm going to do it? I think, yeah, relatively speaking, yes, simply because um, having directed a lot of action, um, and sort of on some fairly, you know, reasonably successful movies and mm-hmm. done well from that side. From a technical point of view, I was reasonably well qualified. Um, and also having been an actor, I think that's where a lot of people who transition um, to, to directing have a, a little bit of a lack of, of sort of understanding. I mean, when I did Last Samurai with Tom Cruise, it was very interesting because, you know, I had that conversation with Tom Cruise where he turned around and he says, you know, you 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 telling me more about the character than any other stunt coordinator or anyone that I've ever had working on this side of things. What is it that, and I told him, I used to be an actor. Oh, that's where it comes from. Yeah, yeah, you can see. It's very obvious that you you know how to sort of guide actors. It's not just about throw a punch, do this. There's a whole reasoning behind it. Why is the character doing this at this point? And so yeah. basically using the acting elements uh, and the training I'd done and, and, uh, and the work I'd done as an actor combined with the technical side, I think it kind of, you know, allowed me to to sort of come at it from two different sides. I think it's really interesting to hear because a lot of directors get scared of working with actors, especially bigger actors, but even any actor. And I always say it's so important to go do some acting classes, go be in the room, understand what actors go through, because then you'll make you a better director because you 
they're not a strange beast. They just want you to help them get a better performance and you have to guide them. 100%. Some actors need more guidance than others. Um, some, some actors are sort of more insecure than others. Some of them don't really want much guidance at all. They know, you know, they'll ask you what the sort of parameters are in terms of what, where is this in the script? What have I just done before? What have I just done after? And, 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 and how should I be, you know, and then all of a sudden they've, they've got everything together. And if you have a really, a really experienced actor, I mean, someone like Nick Cage, you know, he'll push things and he'll try different things and he'll ask you, hey, if I do this, what do you think? And sometimes you've got to say no um, because it doesn't fit in with the rest of, of what you, you think is going to happen in the scene before or after that you haven't shot yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but but overall, these guys, somebody as professional as Nick and, and a lot of other actors I've worked with, they're so, so well um you know, informed about the project and they know everything about it, what's happened just before, what's happened. And the first time I met Nick, he came into the he came into the trailer. We were doing a costume fitting on an outcast. And he it was um, a few days before we started filming and he wasn't up for another few days after that. And he knew every line of dialogue, this, the, the, literally every line in the script. He could, you know, we'd, we'd turn to a pay, he'd just look at it quickly and then he knew the whole, because he'd, he'd already sort of got that dialogue down. He knew everything about the character that he was trying to put together. And obviously we'd spoken on the phone quite a bit before that. Mm. But basically I remember sitting in that first, the sort of first real sit down with him going through the costume and everything. And then he'd go, oh, you know, on, on the, the third scene that I do where the guy's doing this and he's doing this. And he said, what if I did it like, and he's, he, he knows all the dialogue and he went straight through it. And I went, yeah, but... And then we'd change a line here, change a line there to fit in with his sort of way of thinking and, and how better to, to sort of, you know, impart what we were trying to impart dramatically to the audience. I agree. That's so lovely, isn't it? And, you know, Nick Cage does have people, the stories and stuff like that. So it's so nice to hear that you're saying, no, no, it was brilliant to work with him. He was very collaborative and wanted to, you know, work with the director and find those moments. And that's, that's really special. And what's really, really great about this is he wanted to work with you again on the next film or find something for me um which brings us on perfectly to primal now obviously the script yeah. landed on your desk was were you were a position where scripts are landing on your desk quite a lot uh they they do but a lot of the time they're not funded it's a case of uh, yeah. hey would you like to direct this if we can get it going and you're like uh, well yes of course get it know, going and uh, yeah. let me know <laughs> yeah. exactly exactly i mean last year i was up to direct two you know i was supposed to direct two movies last year one of which I ended up having to pull out at the last minute because of other circumstances and that actually did get made. And another one where, you know, the producers basically messed around so much for five or six months that I ended up sort of walking away from it. Um, but mm-hmm. it, it's kind of one of those again where, you know, people tell you, oh, we've got this, we've got that, this is happening, that stuff. And unless unless you really know them, you don't know what, what people are, you know, whether they're telling you the truth or whether they're just, as a lot of producers have told me, you know, producers are professional liars. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have to be in order to get things made. This is, I mean, even some of the distributors that, you know, on Outcast, I was told for about, eight to 10 months. Oh, it's happening next month. hundred percent. It's happening next month. So I turned down Wolverine or, or whatever movie I was turning down at the time. Yeah. And you know, it's like not, nothing happens. And then two months later, you know, it's a, a another movie comes in and angels and demons, I think was one that I turned down. And it was, again, it was, no, it's happening. Nick, if you walk away from this to go and do some action directing, then, you know, this whole movie falls apart. And, and so you don't take the other, the other job, which would definitely put money in the bank and be a big credit. And then you wait and you wait and then, you know, a year's gone by and and they and they turn around and you say, hey, 
you've lied to me for a year. Yeah, I know, but it's, um, it's the only way to get this movie made. Is And so after a while, you realize that what people are telling you is not always, exa- you know, a lot of it's what you want to hear, um, mm-hmm. but it's not exactly what uh, what is a truthful, um, you know, as truthful hyperbole as... Uh, as mm-hmm. um, yeah, absolutely. So you get you you kind of get a strong bullshit detector, especially as, as being British. We, you know, we're, we're very used to that. If someone says something's happening, it's more likely happening than not. Whereas if someone says no, you know, it's a no. As America, it, they, it's a lot more. It's happening, man. Just you know, it's going. And I think that is kind of we kind of get used to that a little bit, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've directed a few movies now, and and I don't think I've ever had someone that has been completely truthfully from from the very beginning. It's never, it's never happened. It's always been one of those, and especially if you're bringing an actor like Nick. I mean, Nick's a friend of mine, and you know, we, we'll probably do another movie together. We've got another project we're talking about right. at some point down the line. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to do another project this year that I'm hoping will will happen, but. Um, and then maybe again something with Nick down the line, and we, you know, but it's one of those things where you sit, you chat, you talk about it, and then someone tells you, okay, we can get this made right away. And but you know that realistically, it's probably sort of eight to ten months away. The way that it, when they say right away, they mean not right away. And uh, mm. yeah. when they say soon, it means maybe a year down the line. Got you. Yeah, that's great advice for filmmakers out there. So in that time, you'll go, you'll think and pick and choose which jobs to do based on a hunch or based on what you think might actually happen. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a case of I'm, I'm trying to make sure that the next project that I do is a, is a sort of a, you know, the script is really solid from the beginning and more of a dramatic piece than an action piece, if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to sort of make sure I'm, I'm not seen just as a, a guy who directs action movies. Okay. Um, you know, but that again, it's difficult because, as you know, as you know, people pigeonhole you. It's mm-hmm. one of those, th- and it doesn't matter whether you were, you know, if you haven't done anything before. But the first movie that you do is a sort of a love story. Then you're the guy that does love stories, even though you've never done anything else before. Mm-hmm. And you 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 could have just as easily done a, a thriller, but yes. you know, you did a love story, so you're the guy that's direct that directs love stories the same way that there are guys that direct musicals, there are guys that direct you know martial arts movies, and uh, and if you're if you're lucky, you know, you you have a career where you have some versatility and some and some variety as a director rather than just being a guy that does only one genre of movies. Yeah. And that's it's great to try and uh, get out of that box for sure. Um, so Primal, um, do you want me to read the pitch or do you want to do one? Because then I'll play the trailer when the podcast goes out. Uh, you go for it. Absolutely. OK, so Frank, played by uh, Nicolas Cage, is in the Brazilian jungle and he's caught a 400 pound white jaguar. Uh, he ships it on the same ship as an arrested assassin. The assassin breaks free and then frees the animals. What is it? White Jag, maybe 400 pounds. I have hit the mother load. Ah. I think this one's going to the highest bidder. So nice to see American faces. Marine Commando. Under arrest for crimes against humanity. Seizures can happen without warning. My radio will be on 24 hours. Dr. Taylor. The man that we're looking for is a mercenary assassin, a professional killer. 
Loffler let most of the animals out. There's only so many places he can hide. Who says he's gonna hide? I'm going hunting. Government wants him alive. If you see Loffler, put a bullet in him. The same goes for the cat. You kill my cat, I'll blow your head off. Got a real nice cage for you. Rated R. It is just a, a delight of a film. It's Nicolas Cage as you kind of want him and expect him. He's unhinged, he's but also controlled. Uh, you've got animals roaming about, attacking people, and you've got a wonderful assassin, you know, uh, played by Kevin Durand, who just goes nuts wow. and it's amazing. So let's talk then about, you know, the, the action in this and getting those performances and working with these animals and, you know, how you got all that, that together. Cause that's a, it's a big achievement. It's amazing. Well, given given the fact that it took quite a long time to get going and, and then, you know, eventually the budget was sort of not really enough to do it the way we wanted to do it. Hmm. Um, and another another sort of fun thing for filmmakers here is that when they tell you, you know, how many days you have to shoot at the beginning, you know, don't always believe what they're telling you unless you're with a studio or someone, because as an independent I was asked initially, again, the sent the script, well, how many days do you think it'll take to, to do this? And I said, I think maybe 35 as an independent. We can, we can shoot this in 35, including me directing all the action separately and everything else. And, uh, you know, yeah. oh, 35 days, okay. Uh, we might have to go down to 33. I said, I th- you know, we could probably do 33. Mm. And then you eventually arrive on, on uh, location to start scouting and you speak to the first AD and he turns around and he says, so 25-day schedule, um, oh. what... And you go, no, no, it's not 25. We talked about 33. Yeah, yeah. But the producer came and he says, you can handle it in 25 days. Um, wow. And I said, well, but, but that's like, that's going to be almost impossible to do this movie in 25 days. It's all aboard. It's, it's on board ship. On board ship. ship. Which, yeah, yeah. And uh, we only have the ship for three and a half days. The exterior of the ship where they were running around on the, on the deck. We only have it for three and a half days. And uh, well, that's loads that's of impossible. action on that. And, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I was shooting for about eight hours one day, which on a sequence I thought would take two days and I was allowed eight hours to shoot it. So, you know, you have to be well planned. You have to uh, you have to go in with an open mind and you do the best you can. Obviously, you know the action so well in terms of your background. But yet yeah, I imagine you still plan the hell out of that and block it all and work with Nick and the other the, the action stunt team and the people fighting with him to get those fights looking amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of rehearsal time, given given the fact it's a small indie, mm-hmm. um, so to speak. It's not the same as, I mean, for argument's sake, when I did Last Summer, I, I worked with Tom Cruise for three months part-time and then another four months full-time before we started shooting a day. So wow. that was the longest prep I've ever had on a movie was, you know, sort of almost seven months of prep and training an actor for that long. And, and it, you know, with something like Gladiator, Russell Crowe, I think we spent about six weeks of full-time training before we started choreographing the fights and then everything was choreographed in advance. The same on Cinderella Man. He had months of training as a boxer. Um, but this movie, of course, you know, you, you come in and you know you've got maybe a week and a half, two weeks to put the fights together, rehearse them all, and then get them shot. 
So it's a, it's a lot faster scale. It's almost television scale. And, and nowadays with a lot of the stuff that Netflix and HBO and all those guys are doing, it's, you know, you have even more time on TV than you do on some of these independent movies. But, but yes, um, having shot a lot of this stuff, I can, you know, I can sort of adapt very quickly to making it work. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was very, very tight, a 25 day schedule to shoot the whole movie. Yeah. But but we managed. Um, it was you know it's a little undercovered in places, but I d- hopefully nobody will notice. Totally, I didn't notice. I mean, I I really thoroughly enjoyed the action. My performances I thought were outstanding. Really right. fun, fun action film, and you know I I think you did a cracking job, especially for twenty five days. I I know what goes into you know making a movie like that, and it's that's yeah. full on. So well, we had a great cast. We did have a great yes. cast. I mean, you know, Nick. Nick's so professional. I mean, literally, he's the first on set every day that he needs to be on set. Kevin Durand, I've known, for, I've probably known Kevin for twenty years. So I brought him on to be, and I knew he'd do a fantastic job as the, as the uh, assassin. A little, a little off kilter, but likable at the same time. <laughs> Very much. So. Um, you know, Famco was great. Um, Michael Imperioli. I mean, every, everybody all the way down. So you know, it was uh, Lamonica Garrett who played. Uh, who played the main sort of um, the leader of the of the agents coming in, and you know there's a there's a lot of really good actors in the movie. So it was when you ha- when you're dealing with good, act- good actors, it's a lot easier to uh, to move qu- quickly. Yes, absolutely. And with something like did, did you have to get Nick into a certain mindset before certain shots, or was he like you said? He seemed very prepared. There was was did you need to sort of go okay? Let's let's think about these little moments and how you'd direct the sort of more acting moments. We'd always walk through everything before. I mean, we'd talk about it before we went on set. Just just him and myself and whoever else was involved in the scene, mm-hmm. and then basically we'd walk through it. And you know, and and what if I go over here? No, that's not going to work because of this. And we need to do this because I need you over there in a minute when the other actor comes into the door. And and so you know, we'd go through everything. We'd walk it all through. He's as I, he's very collaborative. I, I get on very well with him. I don't see, I don't see that there would be any problems he's so professional he's literally he's the first on set always into makeup on time everything it's uh you know there are there are some people that i know are, are difficult um having been in the industry for a long time where they, they may be a little late or or you know whereas nick's nick's never been like that i mean well i say never i mean the two movies i've done with him in the last sort of eight years or so i guess but probably eight years now um you know, he's so professional, same as Kevin. I mean, and Kevin's such a delight to be around. Uh, you know, he's just such a nice guy. Everybody loves him and, and um, you know, he walks in with a smile on his face and then all of a sudden he gets to work with his with his acting and the character comes through. And uh, again, you know, you spend 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, 20 minutes here. It's, it's kind of like, try, the, try it again, but just give me a little bit more sort of underlying there's a sort of an off kilter thing about this where the guy knows he's going to kill this guy in a moment but he's having fun with him and, and just tried a little bit more on the on the light side tried a bit more of it and you, you know you we had enough time to sort of play around a little bit because kevin came in quite late and uh and you know we had to sort of get his character established pretty quickly so so um you know the first day that he came in we, we took quite a little bit of time to to try and find the heart of of, of the character but uh, I, th- I think he did an amazing job i totally agree so yeah let's talk about the animals then because obviously you've got this amazing animal work in there and you you know in the brazilian jungle that's how it looks and you've got this huge jaguar and you've got all these monkeys around how did you work with animals 
Well, actually, the real animals are harder to work with than the CG animals. I can tell you that for sure, even though the CG animals are difficult because you're never quite sure. You think you know where they're going to be and you set the camera up and you sort of walk through it and everything else. Um, but we didn't have enough money to do a proper previs. I'd done storyboards and I was working through the storyboards and I was very sort of uh, methodical with that side of things, especially for argument's sake, the monkey attacking, you know, attacking the cook in the in the kitchen. Mm. Um, that one, you know, we had to make sure that the monkeys were exactly in the right places, eye lines right, and then this monkey attacks from the left and this one's coming from the right and then there's another one coming from the ground up at the same time as he's trying to get this guy off his back and... So, you know, we went through it and went through it. And I had um, some very good help from the special um, visual effects guys. I mean, Tao, Walt Jones in um, in L.A. and uh, Francisco Cueto out in Puerto Rico. Um, you know, they, they both, Walt did the Jaguar and the monkeys and the tapirs and, and um Frankie's company in Puerto Rico did the snake and the ships and the and, and everything else. And between the two of them, I think, you know, given given how tight everything was, they did they did an amazing job. Yeah, absolutely did. Uh, any advice for working with animals? Um, give yourself plenty of time and try not to get frustrated. I mean, the most frustrating moment in the whole movie for us was working with the parrot because we, you know, obviously it was a real parrot and we were trying to get it to fly from A to B and land and then do something with its arms. And we had two parrot trainers and a parrot that we flew in from, I think from Florida, if I'm, if I'm correct. And they came in, we chatted about it for a few days. He's got to do this. He's got to do that. They went off. They tried to get him trained up in the short amount of time we had. And then, you know, there were there were some moments which happened very quickly and other moments where, you know, as an actor, it's difficult working around them because you're trying to say a line, waiting for the for the parrot to react and then trying to as soon as the parrot does it, you have to get the next line. So Nick, who had most of the work with the parrot would be, you know, saying his line, the parrot wouldn't react. So he'd have to quickly try and get back in and start again because I would a lot of the time I would just let the camera run with those things in case the parrot did it at the time. I was trying not to do those the standard cutaways so that it's, you know, basically just put it on the parrot and don't worry about. So I was trying to get Nick and the parrot in the same shot at the same time. So it felt a lot more organic and real Mm. as opposed to just doing those cutaways that you, you know, that you always see with these things. And uh, because they are so difficult to do. Um, but you know, occasionally we had to do those cutaways and, uh, and other times we were lucky enough to be able to get the parrot to do what we wanted when, when we wanted to do it. But I think that was probably Nick's most frustrating moments in the movie when he was acting with the parrot. I can imagine. Um, well, listen, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's absolute joy. Primal is out, a digital download on the 10th of February and DVD on the 17th of February. Uh, it's getting some cracking reviews. Nicholas Cage is amazing. Your cast are amazing. And Nick Powell, you've done a brilliant job. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for joining us uh, on this week's uh, podcast. Um, and we'll, uh, I'll speak to you soon. I look forward to your next film and we'll chat again then. Absolutely. Appreciate that, buddy. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Take care, Nick. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, wow. That was Nick Powell. What a delight that was. So many lovely Nick Cage stories. And wow, isn't it lovely that he's a really nice guy? I love that. I really do. You'll hear all these stories about certain actors or certain people that aren't great or they might be difficult. It's just proven he's not. And I like that. I like demystifying that kind of stuff. Thank you so much, Nick, for your time. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you learned a lot from this week's Filmmakers Podcast. I know I did. 
Next week's podcast, like I say, is with Kate Madison, the director behind the fantastic 50 million hits web series, Ren, uh, the girl with the mark. She is crowdfunding right now. Support if you can. Until next Tuesday, you can make your indie film. Just know who your audience is. And if you are lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send that elevator back down. Until next Tuesday, take care. Bye-bye.